Hey, this is Andy Jenkins with the Warrior Hope Podcast. Our goal every single week is to do two things. Number one is we want to help you find healing from the past. And number two, to identify the next mission moving forward. We really believe there, I always say the enemy, but the reality is I think there may be two. So enemy number one is isolation, is the enemy that most warriors face today. Enemy number two is this idea that everything that's good is in the past, that the mission is in the past, that the best stuff is in the past, that the best days of life are gone. And the reality is there is hope and there is a mission out in front of you and there is something incredible inside of you that the training, that the calling that you have on your life still works and there is a purpose that is in the future. The mission is ahead of you, not behind you. Now, every single week, we, we try to do three things, we, or we do it in one of three ways. We either bring you a service provider, or we bring you the story of a warrior. Many times you see that those kind of over, overlap because many warriors are now doing something to give back, to help other people coming along on the same journey that, that, that they've either kind of made it on, or, or most of them will even say that they haven't arrived, they're, they're in process, and in the process of that healing, and in the process of going to that next mission, they're trying to bring as many people as they can on that journey with them. So we bring those two groups to you. And about a third of the time, we just deliver some content, some of the resources that we've developed for the Warrior Hope curriculum and some of the other uh, concepts that we've developed for Centers of Hope, okay? So Centers of Hope, they're the weekly gatherings. You can look at the link in the show notes below, and I'll provide you some more information about Centers of Hope. In this episode, I want to do that third thing. Instead of bringing you a service provider, instead of bringing you the story of a warrior, I want to talk to you about emotional health and how emotional health is part of the total health. This is a concept that we keep layering kind of week after week, and I really want to break down post-traumatic stress disorder. Now, before we get to it, let me tell you what to listen out for. I'm going to give you a foundational core idea that I've been working on for the past, it's really the past few years as I've been on this journey on my own. And, and that is this, that emotional health is part of total health. Okay, so we're, we're all multifaceted people. That means we have various parts to us. We have, we're physical, we're spiritual, we're intellectual, we're social and relational. We're also emotional. Okay, we readily identify with the first four that I just listed, physical, spiritual, intellectual, and social or relational, but we might not identify with that fifth one, that emotional one. And as I've discussed before, we we generally own and notice the obvious issue if there is a flaw in any of the other areas except for that emotional one. Here's the deal though, you're only as strong as the weakest link. So, so maybe look at it this way, a 20 link chain with 19 links that can carry 1500 pounds each, and then one link that can only hold 15 pounds, it will never lift more than 15 pounds. No, no matter, you got 19 links that can carry 1500, it, that 15 pound link, regardless of the potential of the other 19, they're going to be held back by that weak link. That's easy to understand. In the same way that a chain will never prove stronger than the weakest link though, neither will we. Think about it like this, if you're mentally strong and you have great ideas that will change the world, you'll never be able to do it unless you're healthy physically. It's hard to be a world changer when you're sick in the bed. Make sense? Uh, or, Or if you're spiritually stout, but you can't relate to other people. You'll have a difficult time convincing people about the deep truths that you kind of get in the soul. That makes sense too. Okay, so if the emotions are the weak area, that's gonna hold you back, like that's gonna keep you in check. And, and, and that kind of leads me to the next point about emotional health. Emotional health, it doesn't avoid tough thoughts or feelings. It doesn't avoid tough emotions. There's a book I read maybe two and a half years ago. The book is Emotional Intelligence 2.0. And in that, the author says this, emotions always serve a purpose. And, and then he goes on and even says, even the, quote, bad emotions. So rather than running from tough feelings, true emotional wholeness, it involves recognizing your emotions, reading what they say before you react, and then responding to the world around you in a healthy or an intentional way. 
Now, recognizing those emotions is vital to understanding the purpose of the emotions and recognizing it requires that we spend some time actually learning what those emotions really are. That's the way that we can properly read them when we encounter them. Okay, and, and that means that if we do that, we can then realize what our emotions are telling us without reacting. Like we can actually read what we're feeling. And here's an analogy that I like to make. It, this maybe, and again, this is information for you to listen to, kind of framing the talk that I've already pre-recorded for you. Emotions are to your soul what physical pain is to the body. Or, or not even physical pain, just physical sensation, because there's there's good emotions too. Okay, so in the same way, physical sensations of pain and pleasure alert us to what's happening in our body, emotional joy and pain, and everything else on the spectrum, it tells us the climate of our soul. That leads me to this. Emotions are like thermometers. They don't control us. They simply provide us with valuable information. Okay, so if you think about a thermostat, a thermostat sets the temperature. A thermometer, it simply reads the temperature. That's what your emotions are for. They are given to you not to set the temperature, but to read the temperature of the world going on around you. So if you can learn to recognize the, the emotion, and then if you can read what it's saying without first reacting, you're going to find that you are light years ahead of 99% of the people in the world around you. Okay, that's a lot. That leads us right into the talk here about PTSD. That's where it's going to head, what it looks like, how it causes us to respond, and more. Listen in. I'll be back at the end with something for you. The goal is not to get a diagnosis. The goal is to just be honest and raw about what you've endured and where you are and then walk in health. And if a diagnosis gets you there, great. Let's get the tools that we need. If it's not a diagnosis, it's just kind of getting the tools and sorting through and like being raw and honest about where you've been, super. The goal's health. The goal's walking out to be the best possible version of you. So all of this is not about what's wrong with you. It's, it's about what's right with you and getting to the diamond that's in the rough. Okay, so emotional health is part of total health. Now, people a lot of times get nervous when they're discussing emotions. Sometimes you're afraid that if you talk about emotions, you'll be stereotyped as being crazy. If you kind of reveal that something's wrong with me, uh, if that's the case, a lot of times you feel like you might get written off. Um, that could be a real thing. Like you get written off on a job interview. Uh, you get written off by a person. You could be thought to be weak. Uh, you could have, if you're a veteran or you're a first responder, you, you could have been trained to just push through. And so when things come at you physically and you feel in pain, you push through because you got people you got to rescue or you've got a mission that needs to be completed. But when something comes at you emotionally, you push through as well because you've been trained to endure. And, and certainly in the middle of a conflict, many times you have to. You, we need you. If you're a first responder or a veteran, we need you to endure. But after that, there comes this point where you got to kind of step back and go, all right, let me, let me kind of debrief. Let me pause. Let me rest physically and assess what needs to happen there. And let me, let me recover emotionally and mentally. And kind of defrag there and see what needs to, to happen there. Um, for a lot of reasons, people don't like talking about emotions, but you keep bumping up against these Bible verses. Like Solomon says um, in Ecclesiastes, he says this, there's, there's a time for everything. And there's a season for every activity under heaven. So everyone, and, and he kind of outlines them. He says, hey, there's a time to kill, there's a time to heal. Uh, there's a time to break down, there's a time to build, there's a time to weep, there's a time to laugh. So we see both extremes. Okay, so killing, healing, breaking down, building, weeping, that's that's the overflow of an emotional feeling. Laughing is uh, is is the symptom of, of an emotion, right? It's a symptom of most of the time joy. There's a time to mourn, which is a symptom of, of, of an emotion of grief, or it could be other emotions, and a time to dance, which most of the time would be a symptom also of, in the context in which he's writing, would be a symptom of joy. These emotions, they're parts of the whole of you. So when we think about who you are and who I am, the reality is we're physical people. We're, we have physical bodies. 
Uh, and if our bodies aren't healthy, if they're sick on the couch, if they're stuck in the bed, we're not going to be able to live out the destiny that's inside of us. You can't fulfill your calling if and when you're sick on the couch. That, that just makes sense. But you and I are also, we have parts of us that are social, that are interactive, that are relational. Like We're not designed to do life alone. We're designed to walk with people. Um, there are parts of us that are spiritual. We're designed to connect with our creator. Um, there are parts of us that are intellectual, that like there's this mind and there's there's this brain that, you know, we'll, again, we'll talk about in a few weeks that you, you can expand and explore and you can learn and grow and develop kind of this whole internal world. And there are these emotions and the reality is they're all parts of the whole and you're not going to be stronger than the weakest link. I remember one time I was uh, talking with, I don't remember the context. I think it was in high school. And one kid, he's my age, right? I was a kid too. He says something like, a, a chain's only as strong as its weakest link. And I think we were probably talking about athletics or something. You know, a chain's only as strong as the weakest link. Meaning, you know, you got to have all the teammates on a team have to be in top, shape or you know, on the top of their game or your team's not going to succeed as well as it could because a chain's only as strong as its weakest link. A team is only as strong as the weakest player on the team. So what he was getting at, I believe. Here's what he meant by the chain is only as strong as its weakest link. Chains have all of these links that are held together to lift or carry or hold a load. And if you go, chains are always rated by weight. So you could go find a carabiner or a link that you could buy off the shelves at Home Depot. And on that link, it'll say, uh, hey, this is rated for 80 pounds. This one's rated for 540 pounds. This one's rated for whatever. But the chain is only going to carry what the weakest link will hold. So if, if I string together several 500-pound capacity links, and in the very middle of them, I put an 80-pound link. That whole chain, even though every other link can hold 500 plus pounds, that chain is only going to hold 80 pounds because at 80, at 81 pounds, that load that it's carrying is going to snap because that weak link's gone. And the analogy is in life, maybe the same thing's true that you know your physical capacity, body needs to be healthy, whole. Your intellectual capacity, healthy whole, your relational stamina, interacting with other people because we, we get more together. You've heard that phrase, teamwork makes the dream work. We just get more done when we're walking with other people. Life is better. It's full. <clears throat> we're created for community, right? And so if you have a weak link emotionally and if you're not emotionally secure, if you're not emotionally stable, that's going to affect I believe, and I see more and more, it's going to affect your overall capacity of what you can carry in all of life. Just like that chain is only as strong as its weakest link, so also are we only as strong health-wise as the weakest part of us, whether it's emotional, intellectual, spiritual, physical, social. And, and I know you could argue, well, certain areas of those are more important. And, and, and if you did, I, I would say even the unseen areas are going to be the most important. So when you get into the spiritual area and you get into the emotional Area and you get into these intangibles like the relational area, and so it, it makes us kind of step back. It makes us pause here because uh, the, the the reality is, if something happened physically to our bodies, uh, we we would take care of it. If all of a sudden, like you just couldn't walk, like your your leg just gave out, you know, we we'd take care of that. If if all of a sudden, like you you couldn't eat food without your stomach just getting upset like we would we would try to investigate what's going on if, if all of a sudden like you know you're just kind of bleeding for no reason we would would get that checked out and the, and the question here that we that we ask when we really teach this material live and the question I'd pose to you is you know what would happen and I kind of asked this to myself but what would happen if we cared for our wounded emotions like we cared for wounded bodies and you could even just take that question farther and say, well, what would happen if we took our emotional capacity as serious as our financial capacity? You know, everybody wants to know, kind of, where am I financially? Is there enough money to pay the bills? Is, am I earning enough? You know, or am I going into debt? Not necessarily saying we always make the healthiest financial decisions, but that's a concern. You know, what, what if we dealt with emotional hurts like we do physical wounds, like we just mentioned? Or, or think about this. What, what if we actually encouraged emotional growth 
like we encourage intellectual growth. Emotional capacity, your EQ, emotional quotient, is something that you can actually grow, whereas your IQ, your intelligence quotient, the capacity you have to assess information and really kind of shelve it in your brain, that's a pretty dynamic, well, it's a pretty fixed number throughout your life. Okay, so you keep learning more as you grow, but but that ability doesn't necessarily increase. It's it's just kind of professionals say always there. And I, I tend to think it can grow and you can get stronger. But that emotional one, oh my goodness, like th- there's massive capacity to become more emotionally intelligent. And what if we took that as seriously as we do intellectual growth? Like we go to school and we go to learn things and get degrees. What, what if we really explored what's happening inside of us? All right, so th- that would lead us to this. That, that would lead us to this idea that oftentimes the stuff going on inside, it isn't super beautiful. We're beautiful people. Don't get me wrong, created in the image of God, but sometimes, man, life's been tough. There's just this hard reality of things we've got to deal with. So that that leads me to our second point. Emotional health, emotional wholeness, it doesn't avoid tough thoughts or feelings. In, In other words, emotional health just goes right into it and just looks at it and deals with it. Like whatever's there, you deal with it. You you're you're honest about it. Now, there are a couple of reasons why we avoid that. Um, here are three reasons why we avoid tough thoughts and feelings. Number one is neutral. Number two, in case you're writing this down, is negative. These are all going to be ends. Number three is new normal. Okay, one is neutral, two is negative, three is new normal. Let me describe them for you. Neutral. That means it's not good or bad. We just don't discuss tough thoughts, ideas, or feelings because we don't know what's there. We have no grid to understand it. Let me give you an example. I've told some of you this before in other venues. I went to a counselor's office. It was about two and a half years ago, first time that I went in about five or six years. And I'm, while I'm there, this counselor, licensed counselor, uh, looks at me and says, how are you feeling today? And I said, well, I'm, I'm feeling okay. And they said, okay is not a feeling. How are you feeling? And I said, I don't know. I'm fine. And, and it was a she. She said, well, fine's not really a feeling. Here, look at this. And then she handed me this card, and, and the card was kind of an eight and a half by 11 laminated that had this wheel on it with all these feelings, 50 plus feelings that were all organized in groups whereby you could kind of look at it and go, well, I think I'm feeling kind of in this group. Oh, maybe it's that one out of the group, or I think I'm kind of feeling this one out of that one in the group, or I think I'm kind of feeling like it gave me this way to look, and there were all of these feelings on there that I had never felt felt, or maybe more accurately, I'd felt them, but I didn't know I'd felt them because I'd never been exposed to the idea that I could even be feeling these things. Now, when we come to the idea of emotional wholeness, some of us don't, like it's just neutral because we're out of touch with our feelings because we didn't ever know that you you could be in touch with them, okay? Right, we have no grid. So number one is neutral. Number two is, is negative. Okay, so you may avoid talking about feelings because of a negative association you have with them. Here's, here's what that means. Um, it means that you've been told, you've been raised, you've been in a culture of, here's a phrase, man up, stifle it, get over it. So certainly in the military, a lot of the guys I talk to that are veterans, a lot of the women say, hey, we, we just had a culture of like you just get through, you push on. First responder, you just push on. But you might have you might have grown up in a culture where you're told like, hey, um, boys don't cry. So you, you need to like quit acting like a girl. I mean, can you, can you imagine that? So you stifle it and then you squelch it long enough to where over time you just, you just kind of become like so out of sync with these feelings that you no longer talk about them at all. You just kind of have this negative association with feelings and you live in the world of physicality, not emotionality. All right, so here's why we avoid number one is neutral, no grid for it. Number two is negative. Number three is there's a new normal. Let me tell you what that means. It means this. If you go to a school and everybody wears a uniform, all of a sudden everybody just wears a uniform. That's just what you do. You just kind of fit in, right? It's normal. If you go to a school and nobody wears a uniform, 
that's normal. And then all of a sudden you go to a school and everybody's got on a uniform. You're like, that's weird. If you and I are in a culture and all of a sudden we went to a third world country where people don't wear clothes as regular as they wear clothes here in America and they're not used to covering up all the parts, it's kind of like, hey, man, this is this is really weird. This is different. Why? Because it's, it's not better or worse. It's just your normal is different. Now, that said, we have grids about what's normal based on where we are. I talked to a guy that was in the military. He dropped out of high school when he was 18 to go fight in uh, Afghanistan and Iraq. And he, he said this. He says, you know, when he came back, he realized that he had post-traumatic stress. And he, he kind of said, I, I never really noticed it over there. But it happened while I was there, and I was enduring it while I was there after, after just a month or two. Like it, it, it was instant. Like he's, and he said, but here's the deal. Everybody that was in my platoon, we all had it. The same stuff was going on with this. We're all kind of shell-shocked is his word. We're all kind of shell-shocked by what we're seeing and what we're experiencing and, and always kind of living on the edge and like mortar fires always coming. You don't know like when you're going to get gunfired at or you don't know what's going to pop up behind every bunker or what. He said, that's kind of the normal. We're all living on the edge and so nobody really saw that anybody else is emotionally unhealthy until we got back and we're surrounded by other people that are healthy. And all of a sudden, like we could see it. We're like, oh, it was just like you had been wearing no school uniform all the time. And all of a sudden you're dropped into a school where everybody has a uniform. You're different. And you realize, man, I need to get this checked out. Okay, so from whatever grid you're coming from, neutral, haven't been talking about it, negative, you got a negative association with kind of owning your emotions for whatever reason. There's a normal that where, you know, which you could be on multiple sides of that equation. And honestly, one or two of these reasons to avoid, they may all fit. Like it might not just be a tidy box. Emotional health doesn't avoid tough thoughts, what's in your head, or feelings, what's in your heart. Okay, like it doesn't, it doesn't avoid that. Now here's here, here's what normally happens. Whenever you and I experience uh, a situation, whether it, it could be it could be gunfire, uh, it could be uh, a natural disaster. So tornado siren goes off. It could be sirens coming behind us. It could be dropping a loud pan, a loud noise, somebody screaming, you know, in the parking lot at somebody else unrelated to you. Just hear it. It could be a baby crying. It could could be that. Whenever something happens, and there's a graphic, I'm going to put it in the show notes to where you can see it. Something happens. Um, that's kind of step number one. Step number two is that that data enters enters your brain. It goes kind of in through the spinal cord, which is kind of the back bottom of your brain through the limbic system. And the limbic system, which is kind of the seat of emotions, feelings, nonverbal, okay? It's, it's information, but it's kind of greater than words, okay? It, that experience of whatever's going on kind of in the world around you, that is felt, it's not necessarily rationalized first. It's not necessarily spelled out. It's felt. And, and then you got two options. Here's option number two right there. Okay, so step number one, something happens. Step number two, the data enters the brain. It's spinal cord. Step number three, the experience by the limbic system is felt. Option number two is the unhealthy one. Option number two is kind of you just react in primal instinct and you react from the emotion. You just kind of, you know, you just kind of, you just kind of move into it. Like this is why somebody can say something and then instantly you pop off and you're like, oh, I don't know where that came from. Like that just, okay, you, you just reacted. Um, that's why uh, a pan drops in the kitchen. It's really loud and instantly like you kind of shudder. You, it's just, you, you reacted, okay? And so, some of this is completely normal and is completely healthy. It's only unhealthy when, we'll talk about it in a second. Um, you hear a loud screech outside, car tires. Instantly you kind of jolt, jump, you look, and you turn, okay, your, your primal instinct is kicking in and you're reacting. Okay, that's option number two. Option number one is you don't react primally. Uh, you move to the neocortex, the frontal lobe of the brain. And you rationally think through what's going on. You recognize it. You read what the emotion is saying and then you respond in a healthy, deliberate, intentional way. 
Okay, makes sense. Now, sometimes you've, you've got to jump into that primal instinct. The, the, the problem is when you go primal and you don't need to go primal. The problem is when you go primal and somebody's just said something and you pop off at them. The problem is when you don't separate reality from your perception of reality, which is just review that. We talked about that in the last episode. So here, here's kind of how we define emotional wholeness, emotional health. Okay, It's, number one, recognizing your emotions. Okay, So it's, it's, it's recognizing the emotions. Then it's reading what they say, whether they're, quote, good or bad, and they're telling your soul what's going on in the same way that physical sensation tells your body what's happening, good or bad. Okay, physical sensations can be painful. Man, I need to stop running. My body's about to give out. Physical sensation can be, you know, bad in the sense of like, but, but it's helpful in the sense of like, oh, I just touched something hot. I need to pull it away. Okay, that's helpful. Uh, physical sensation can be good. You know, you're having sex, right? That good sensation. You're swimming and all of a sudden you jump into a cool pool on a hot day. Physical sensation. It's good. It's pleasant. Um, physical sensation can be good. Your emotions are to your soul what physical sensations are to your body. So whether they're, quote, good or bad, they can serve you in some way if you read what they say and you respond in a healthy way, even if you respond quickly rather than just reacting. Now, for the sake of post-traumatic stress, post-traumatic stress, post-traumatic stress disorder is involving mental health and emotional health, and where some of those kind of start going sideways. All right, so previous big point. I said this, emotional health doesn't avoid tough thoughts or feelings. Here's the deal. We can read the signs of post-traumatic stress. So you can feel it, and then we can read it, see what it's saying, so that we can move forward in a healthy way. Now, post-traumatic stress, there's generally, experts say, four broad ways in which this is. These are kind of symptoms. So these are going to be expressions of it. Let me give you four of them. Let me tell you what they are, and then I'll go back and I'll describe them very quickly. Number one, hypervigilance. Number two is re-experiencing symptoms. Number three is avoidance symptoms. Number four, negative feelings. Okay, number one, hypervigilance. That means that you're kind of always on edge. You're always looking. You're always kind of thinking, man, there could be danger around every corner. You're always thinking, man, when this person does something, like they're going to get me. Or you could, you're always mistrustful. You're always thinking that something bad's about to happen, largely based on your previous experience. Okay, so that's kind of what wrote that script to move in there. Number two is re-experiencing symptoms. So um, it uh, thunders outside, and all of a sudden you're reliving the storm that you survived that other people didn't survive. Uh, or all of a sudden it's taking you back to a time and place when you were younger and your family survived, but you lost everything in a natural disaster. Um, re-experiencing symptoms. Uh, you get into a car, and when you get into the car, you instantly feel like it's going to wreck because you were in a car accident. Re-experiencing symptoms would be like some of the veterans that I've talked about in the previous episode where they hear fireworks and they re-experience it. Perception takes them there that it's mortar fire. And, and again, this has everything to do with the idea that we talked about last episode, that perception is not always reality. Perception might be reality. Perception might not be uh, so number one, hypervigilance. Number two, re-experiencing symptoms. Number three, avoidance symptoms. So you might not want to talk about it. You might not want to interact with a certain person or a certain kind of people or a certain race or culture. You might avoid a certain place. You might have had a uh, bad situation happen when you were growing up in church. So you avoid church altogether. You might uh, avoid thinking, talking, about it at all because, again, you don't want to re-experience it and, of course, you want to be hypervigilant. Let me give you number four. Number four is negative feelings. So you start feeling depressed. You start feeling down. Now, not just when you think about it or not when you just re-experience it, but all the time. You start just kind of carrying this funk um, that that you can't quite feel. And, and again, if emotions are to your soul what physical sensation is to the body, you know, if your body is constantly in the state of physical inflammation, or if your body is constantly in the state of pain, that'll work you to, hey, something, something's wrong physically. Something's going on with me, my body. The same is true when you're feeling an ongoing negative of feeling like 
depression. Uh, you're feeling this ongoing negative feeling, like you're just kind of feeling like blah. You're, it, it lets you know, hey, something's not quite right. And it's letting you know, not, not, not your fault, but it's letting you know, hey, like your, your soul actually works. So we, we need to address it and figure out what we can do, what's going on there to where we can move into health and wholeness. Now, here, here's what we do when I'm meeting with the veterans uh, in the class. We just kind of say, hey, look, all right, so we, we've discussed valid reasons why people don't want to deal with emotional stuff. Uh, again, because people might think you're crazy. They might stereotype you. Um, we, we, those are valid reasons. Another valid reason is you've been told to push on. Okay, and another valid reason is like you've not been in a culture. So there are valid reasons for that, but the reasons to check yourself are even greater. Now, there's this self-check test that's online, and I'm going to tell you where I got the information. It's in the book, too, Warrior Hope. I think it's on uh, page 57 in the book if you've got that manual. We pulled this information from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Now, I'll tell you this. That self-check, it is a self-check. It is not a diagnosis. It is a tool. Emotional stuff, it's, it's really more of an art, not a science. There's science to back it, um, but it's, it's just like, honestly, medical stuff. It's science, but it's also art. And so the best doctors kind of, you know, they're, they're highly intelligent with the science, and they're also highly intelligent with kind of the art and the relational side of pulling this all together. So the source is the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. And on the test that you can look that I've got in the show notes where you can link it there, in order to get a diagnosis, you must meet all eight criteria. All eight. And I'm going to read them to you so you can kind of listen along. You also, you've got to meet these additional specifications. So I'm flipping to the book right here. Here's, here's the criteria. All right, so you walk through this. We'll give you eight. Criteria number one. Okay, the person was exposed to death, threatened death, actual or threatened serious injury or actual or threatened sexual violence. So it had to happen or you were threatened with it in one of the following ways. It could have been direct exposure to you. It could have been you witnessed the trauma, so it happened to someone else, but you saw it. It could have been that you learned that a relative or a close friend was exposed to the trauma. Or it could have been indirect exposure to aversive details of the trauma, like in the course of your professional duties. Like you were a first responder, or you are a medic, so you didn't see it happen, but you got really close to it really quickly. That's criteria number one. Criteria number two. The traumatic event is persistently re-experienced in the following ways. So it keeps coming up, okay, through unwanted upsetting memories, through nightmares, through flashbacks, through emotional distress after exposure to traumatic reminders, through physical reactivity after exposure to traumatic reminders. Okay, so it just kind of keeps repeating. Criteria number three, avoidance of the trauma-related stimuli after the trauma in the following ways. You avoid trauma-related thoughts or feelings. You avoid trauma-related reminders. Now you might remember that was one of the criteria there, one of the... Uh, symptoms of post-traumatic stress. Number four, criteria number four, negative thoughts or feelings that began or worsened after the trauma in the following ways. Uh, Number one, you have the inability to recall key features of the trauma or and uh, overly negative thoughts and assumptions about yourself or the world or and exaggerated blame of the self or of others for the trauma uh, and or negative effect or decreased interest in activity. So you kind of want to just kind of sit around and not do anything. And or feeling isolated and or difficulty experiencing a positive feeling. So any of those. Criteria number five. Now two of these are required here. Trauma-related arousal and reactivity that began or worsened after the trauma in the following ways. Okay, so there's got to be two out of these six. Uh, Number one, irritability or aggression. Number two, risky or destructive behavior. Number three, hypervigilance. Number four, heightened startle reaction. Number five, difficulty concentrating. Number six, difficulty sleeping. So in criteria number five, you've got to have two out of those six. Criteria number six, this is required as well. The symptoms of everything that you're experiencing, 
have to last for more than one month. So, so it can't just be you had a bad night, you had a bad weekend. It has to be something that's ongoing. Criteria number seven. The symptoms create distress or functional impairment. Uh, that means uh, like it would be kind of a, socially things are a little different. Occupationally things are a little different. Relationally things are adjusted because of what you've been through. Uh, criteria number eight. Um, this one's required as well. The symptoms are not due to medication, substance abuse, or other illness. Uh, in, in fact, one of the doctors that I've read, his PhD, uh, he, he actually says, related to this alcohol, he says if you're trying to get through emotional duress or through PTSD, he, he says flat out, this is his idea, not mine, you can't do it if you're drinking alcohol. He's like, you've got to be sober because you've kind of got to separate uh, some of that and you've got to let your brain function fully. So, Again, here are the symptoms. It's not because you took medication. When you take medication, you see all these side effects. It can cause depression. It can cause anxiety. It can cause you know, all this other stuff. And it, said, here are the criteria. It can't be caused because of any of that. It's, it's got to be isolatable to where you can reduce it to, hey, it's because of something that, that I've endured. Okay. Now, in addition to those eight, there's two specifications that are in this self-check. Um, let me read you one of them, and then I'm going to read you the second one. The first one is dissociative specification. So it, here's what it says. In addition to meeting the criteria for the diagnosis, an individual experiences high levels of either of the following in reaction to trauma-related stimuli. Either depersonalization, meaning you have the experience of being an outside observer or you're detached from yourself, kind of feeling like this isn't happening to me, even though it's happening to you. You're kind of like you're standing outside of yourself watching it and you can't really believe that it is but it is happening or there's this derealization so there's this experience of kind of unreality of distance or distortion meaning like hey none of this is real okay so that's specification number one or or delayed specification would be uh, the full diagnostic criteria not met until at least six months after the trauma although the onset of the symptoms might occur immediately. So when you look at that, and, and again, there's a link in the show notes where you can get on, you can kind of read this and work through this and check it and do it online, um, and just kind of all that information is just for you to look at. Here, here's, here's, here's the deal. In order to be diagnosed currently at the VA, as of the time that we wrote this, you've got to meet all eight criteria to receive a diagnosis, and you have to not only like score eight out of eight, you also have to meet those additional specifications. And like I said, you know, this, this kind of adjusts all the time. Like they're always kind of learning new information. They're always kind of putting this together. And, and here's, here's what, I, what I said is in the previous episode, a diagnosis is on a scale. It's on a spectrum. And so here's kind of what I want you to hear is the goal is not to diagnose you. I want you to notice this that you can still be affected by emotional things. You can still be affected by life because life is good. Life is great. My goodness, but it's a gift, but it's also hard, and we endure tough things. You can still be affected even if you don't receive a diagnosis. So in the example of this test, you may look at it and go, well, I had, I had five out of eight, or I had seven, or, or depending on what they were, it could have been like I, mean, I, had, I had three, right? And you look at that and you say, well, does that mean that I, I wouldn't benefit from just kind of exploring the world of emotional health? And I would say, no, it, it just means that you don't have a diagnosis. And again, the goal is not to get a diagnosis. The goal is not to avoid a diagnosis either. The goal is to walk in total health. And total health uh, is, is going to include, it's going to include mental health, thinking right. It's going to include emotional health, feeling right. It's going to include physical health, so your body working like it's supposed to work. And again, the goal is not to receive a diagnosis or to avoid a diagnosis. The goal is to honestly assess where we are and then to walk in health. Okay, a couple things about that. First of all, I, I would love to know what you think. So if you're listening and you're out in social media world or whatever, I would love for you to just take a screenshot of either this podcast or take a screenshot of where you are. Tag us, share us. My, my information is down below where you can tag me. I'll, I'll repost it. You can tag our organization. We love to see just how and where you're interacting with this. 
By the way, if you will subscribe on the podcast provider that you're using, whether that's Apple Podcasts or Google Play or Stitcher or something else, that will help those content providers know to shuffle that information up to the forefront of other people that might have the similar listening preferences as you, and that will help us get the word out to others about this podcast. If you'll rate us and review us, that would be extremely helpful as well. Now, go to the website, and on our website, warriorhope.com, got a link to it in the show notes, there is a free PTSD self-assessment. The information that we got there, it's legit. We got it from the VA when we were researching the book Warrior Hope. We pulled it off the website. It is a 10 questionnaire self-check. It is all yes or no questions. It will take you about two to three minutes to answer it, and it will, it will immediately help you just kind of look where you are, assess yourself. Nobody, nobody else gets the information. It will email you the results that, that you'll see right there on the screen in front of you. And then it will help you identify like, hey, here's here's some resources that would help me take the next best step for me, re- regardless of how healthy or how unhealthy I, I might be in an area. And, and here's, here's what I often tell people. If, if your lung was working at 70% capacity, you would think, well, I need, I need to increase my breathing capacity. I need to increase my intake of how I utilize oxygen. If, if you had an arm and the bone in there was only 50% good, you, you would think, well, that, that's, not, that, that, that's no good. That, that's not solid. I've got to take care of my arm. I need some therapy. I need something, some strength, something there. And here's what I say to people all the time. If, if you're not at 100% emotional capacity, then you would benefit from a boost. And so take the assessment, look at where you are. The information's just for you. Nobody's trying to diagnose, treat, or prescribe. We're just all trying to do do the reality that we lead off the podcast with. Number one, find healing. Number two, identify the next mission. The reality is isolation is one of your enemies, and the idea that all of the good stuff is in the rearview mirror is the other. The mission is ahead of you, and truthfully, let's walk together because we are better together.
that's this week's talk. Thank you so much for joining us. For more information about what we're doing, what's going on, to find Eric, look into the show notes. I've put the information that you can use to just link on and go learn more about Operation Therapic there. You can learn more about the Lone Warriors Project there. And you can learn more about Warrior Hope and Crosswinds at warriorhope.com. Go there to take the free PTSD self-check. And then while you're there, stream the free documentaries. We'll talk again soon.